put time back on your side with LawPay, a payment solution designed specifically for legal professionals. If you wanted a job practicing law in 2022 and you had a law license, chances are pretty good you'd find one. The past year has also been great to be a big law firm partner or associate in terms of compensation. But with all the good news about jobs for lawyers, some are waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I am speaking with Valerie Fontaine. She's the founding partner of the legal search firm, Seltzer Fontaine, and we will be talking about attorney jobs in 2023. Valerie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm glad to be back. Of course. Yes. So let's start with the large firms because they tend to set the trend on jobs and um, compensation. How do you think 2023 hiring will compare to 2022? Oh, it's going to be slower, definitely. We have just gone through quite a frenzy and things are slowing down. People are concerned you know, that the world is coming to an end. It is not. We are just going back to pre-pandemic normal. Um, you know, it, it went down as soon as the pandemic hit, you know, everybody froze, then business picked back up again. There was quite a frenzy. And now things are, you know, the pendulum is swinging back to normal. Okay. And for those of us who don't know, and I will count myself in that, what was, for a large law firm, what was our average starting salary for first-year associates in 2022? First-year associates, the big loss scale was 215000 base for the major firms. Um, that was up from 190 for some firms and 205 from the, the year before. So they definitely went up. I don't expect them to go up again next year. Wow. I, I'm feeling old because I remember when the firms jumped to 80000 and it was a big deal. <laughs> I'm older than you, Stephanie. So, <laughs> how are the big firm salaries uh, for associates? How are they varying by region? Is that still a thing? Not as much anymore. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is that with all the telecommuting, people can be working absolutely anywhere. And the second is because so much of the work is done cross office that associates from one office are working with partners in another or teams are actually all across the country or even around the world. So there's really no basis for that difference. They're doing the same work, whether they're sitting in Kansas City or New York or Los Angeles. So most of the large firms are paying the, the same class year, the same base. There are a few holdouts that uh, take cost of living into consideration. But then you have people who are affiliated with, say, the New York office, and they're actually living somewhere that's much less expensive and rural. They might look on the website that they're in New York, but they're really living in a much more lower cost area. So the region doesn't hold sway as much anymore. Okay. And has that been a piece of competition, perhaps, that will pay you a New York salary, even though you're in Chicago? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, over the last year, they've needed associates and they will take them anywhere. <laughs> I actually placed an associate who's living in Hawaii uh, and she's doing real estate work in Southern California. Huh, interesting. 
So you said you think that the associate salaries are going to stay the same for 2022. What do you think about bonuses? Because those will be announced. Well, we're recording this um, on the 16th of November, but those will probably be announced any day now, right? Absolutely. We're getting into bonus season. And I mean, last year, first year got prorated 15,000, going all the way up to class of uh, 2014, they could get, you know, 115 or, you know, even above that. And I'm not expecting them to be much higher and maybe not even as high because I think that firms are looking at the possibility of lower profitability going into a slower economy and they want to make sure they're hanging on to some capital. Uh, so they're not going to give it all away. On the other hand, if they had a really great year, they do need to reward their associates for their efforts in creating that profitability. So I, I'm not expecting huge increases. Um, one of the things we're seeing in, in regards to bonuses is that law firms were throwing signing bonuses, huge signing bonuses at associates earlier in the year. And those bonuses have pretty much dried up completely. Summer bonuses were extremely rare this year. And hours bonuses are still in existence. But as we're going into next year, if the economy slows significantly, associates are going to have a harder time getting to those, you know, the hours required to get the bigger bonuses. When you say huge signing bonuses, what's huge? Like a year's salary's worth? Half a year's salary's worth. You know, we saw mm. signing bonuses, you know, well into the six figures. And a lot of associates were demanding them in order to make the moves. And the law firms were desperate, especially in the corporate areas, to uh, get those associates. And so they were throwing money at them as fast as they could. Do you have thoughts for young associates, and this is their first professional job, how can they plan for the future? Because I think sometimes there's a sense, if it's your first time, you think, well, this is going to go on forever. And for what I've seen, it doesn't. And it's probably going to be a different work situation a few years from now or maybe in a year. So what's your advice for keeping that in mind if you're a young lawyer and this is your first job? I mean, for associates coming into the workplace right now, they have a really unrealistic idea of what it's like. Um, it's really been an unusual situation for the last year or so. It's not typical. I've been through a number of these ups and downs since I've been recruiting for so many years. So things are going to slow down, definitely. You're going to have to try harder to make sure that you have work on your plate. You're going to have to be proactive about making yourself known and your availability known to partners so that you get work. You're going to have to take the initiative to ask for work in the areas that you want to work in. Um, and if there's no work available in those areas, to be willing to take work in other areas as well. Uh, so things are definitely going to be slowing down in a number of areas. And we're going to talk, I think, a little later about what areas of practice are up versus areas that are not. But my advice is to be open to taking a variety of work and taking whatever comes your way uh, so that you can broaden your experience and keep your hours up and uh, make sure that you're an important and valued player on the team. So that when times come to cuts, they don't think about cutting you. Do you also think that during these good times, because there's so many jobs available, 
it's a great career builder for class of 21 and 2022 and perhaps 2020 graduates. And, you know, the opportunities they had now might really lead them to great opportunities down the road because they were able to do legal work that was meaningful right out of law school. Exactly. So, I mean, they've had good news and bad news. The good news is that they've um, really had to hit the ground running. You know, so much came their way. They had to make it make it work. On the one hand, on the other hand, a number of them have been working remotely and they may not have had as complete training as they would have had in the old world, in the in the pre-pandemic world when they were in the office and work did, wasn't coming at such a fast pace. So the, it's a plus and then it's a minus. And another piece of, inform- of advice I can give an associate is to kind of take a look around as things slow down and look where your lacks or gaps might be and try to fill in either through training that's available at your firm, through assignments of work that are available at your firm, or just on your own with CLEs to try to fill in any gaps that you might have going forward. I'm curious, when the market has been so good, are you seeing fewer um, associates leaving large law firms? Over the last few years, actually, we've seen associates moving much more often and after shorter tenures at firms, uh, which in the past we would recommend against. And law firms have not been looking askance at short tenures because they needed associates. So they were willing to take anybody with a good experience. And sometimes the joke was anybody with a pulse. But what we are beginning to see is that employers are looking at resumes and saying, I'm sorry, they've moved too much. Or they specifically tell us, we want somebody with real stability on their resume. So you do need to think about being a job hopper uh, because it is going to be looked at carefully. You have to have a good reason. And having a good reason is not just more money because a potential employer might think that you will move again the minute another dollar is offered. And that's not not a good answer. I'm curious too, while there are still a lot of jobs available for now, is this the time to try and find something that's really fulfilling to you? I mean, I guess you could say it's always time to find something that's very fulfilling to you, but maybe this is a time you can be choosy and, p- and pick a good culture that pays you a salary you could live on. If you have the option to find something that is very fulfilling to you, now is the time to do it before things really slow down. On the other hand, you also don't want to be last in, first out if uh, a company needs to cut. So that's something to think about as well. Um, If an option comes your way that you think is a good career move and it's not just about another dollar, I, I would definitely recommend that you take it when it's available to you. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about how remote work has figured in a Floyer Jobs and what you think might happen next year. We'll be right back. LawPay, the leading legal payment processor, is excited to provide American Bar Association members with client credit, a buy now, pay later solution. With client credit, you can allow your clients to pay in small increments while you receive 100% of your invoiced amount upfront. LawPay offers transparent pricing and no contracts, so you can try it risk-free. Discover a better way to get paid at LawPay.com. As you know, 
It's important to keep your voice down when you're inside a library, but it would be really annoying to talk like this all the time. So I'm happy to say that even though the ABA Journal's Modern Law Library podcast discusses a new book with its author every episode, it doesn't take place inside a library, so we don't whisper on the show. What a silly idea that would be. The Modern Law Library podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Follow along wherever you get your podcasts. Shh. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm discussing predictions for the 2023 job market with Valerie Fontaine, a founding partner of the legal search firm Seltzer Fontaine. So I've heard from law firm partners, they want people back in the office to a certain extent, but I have heard from lawyers who are not partners, as well as support staff, they don't want to come back in the office. And I think for 2022, it was a seller's market. Would you, do you agree? You, they might have wanted it back in the office, but too bad. They weren't coming. I agree with you completely. And that may be changing as well. But you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube or the genie back in the bottle, really. Firms are making demands or strong requests. And to some extent, they're being ignored. But firms are, are really trying to find the sweet spot of what's going to work. About half of the firms that are requesting that attorneys come back into the office have no specific requirement for the number of days that people are, are required to be in the office. And I'm talking about lawyers. About a quarter of the firms want three days a week. And I would say a very few say four, um, very few say one day. There's usually two to three is sort of the the sweet spot of what they're asking for, what they're getting is maybe not that. The ABA actually did a study earlier this year, I'd say mid-2002, mid and um, almost 90% of lawyers are able to work remotely. And about two-thirds of lawyers were working at that time 100% remotely or had flexibility. And uh, a quarter were supposed to be in the office you know, one to three days a week. Now, in-house lawyers probably work a little less remotely than law firm lawyers because many times they have, they're required to have more interaction with the, the business people. And sometimes if they have managerial duties, they're required to be there. And we're finding that with the positions that we're filling. It's actually interesting with in-house. With the positions we're filling, we have some that are completely remote, and those are generally sort of the online techie kind of, of firms where everybody's remote and their people are working from all the way or all around the world. On the, on the other hand, we have others where attorneys are required to be in the office every day or two to three days a week, and that is a non-negotiable. So we're finding less flexibility really with the in-house positions. And um, historically, Historically, we're only talking a few years here, <laughs> but government lawyers have had the least flexibility with only about a, a third saying that they can work fully remotely or really have the ability to choose their own schedule. Now, I expect all of this to change as the labor or jobs market really tightens up because the um, balance of power in the negotiation will be changing from the lawyer to the employer. And uh, if you want to have your job, you need to be in the office. 
the employer is going to have the abilities to demand that. And some firms have even been saying, if you want to hang on to your job, if you don't want to be up on the chopping block, you need to be here. Uh, you don't want to be out of sight, out of mind. So there is this, there's a sense that if you are mostly telecommuting, you might have the highest likelihood of getting laid off from a firm. Absolutely. Out of sight, out of mind. Now, the thing is that, you know, if everybody's fighting for hours, the ones who are there in person to grab them is going to get them most likely. Now, this is not going to hold true for somebody who has a very specific esoteric, you know, practice area. And there's just not a lot of other people out there that do that. But, you know, I think that there's going to be more of the uh, demands that people get in the office, come back in the office as the job market tightens up. But what we're seeing from the candidates, the lawyers that we're trying to place, is that more and more of them are putting a premium on the ability to work remotely and have that kind of flexibility. And actually, the more junior they are, the the higher a premium they put on that. And so some studies have been done on that as well. And so, you know, Major Lindsay did a survey and that said that over two thirds of partners wanted the option to work remotely and the partners have more power. And so they can certainly, you know, write their own ticket a little bit more. But the more junior the person, the the more important it is to them and the more willing they are to quit and make a move than the more senior lawyers. Do you have a sense if you have a partner candidate with a good book of business, do they tend to agree on how important it is for them to be able to work remotely as well as their staff? Well, the partners with a lot of business are in such demand. The law firms really don't care where they're doing the work as long as they're doing it and those billings are coming in. Some partners love to be in the office. And I mean, I've actually worked with partners who want to go to a place where the other lawyers are in the office and they want their associates to be in the office too. Others don't care as long as the work gets done. So partners, the more business a partner has, the more power that partner has to determine how he or she does his work or her work and where that work is done. I was just curious, do you notice any like personality traits? Like if you are a rainmaker, some rainmakers are pretty introverted, but some of them are not, and they might just enjoy being around people. There's also, frankly, the narcissist aspect, and you want people around you to do what you say when you do it. But uh, do you know, are, like, are corporate lawyers more like, I know appellate lawyers like to work at home, but are, are there practice areas, are there any like differences in personality traits with the type of law you practice and where you are in the food chain? The lawyers, and it may just be anecdotal, but the lawyers that I have found it, that I have found that want more in person are litigators, but some of them just love uh, being able to do depositions remotely and that sort of thing. So, you know, it depends upon the person, but um, I was working with one litigation partner and he was turning down options because the associates were not in the office. He said, I want the people to be there. And I'm finding that people that go into the office, even when they didn't have to during the pandemic, I thought it was... My experience, it was more often the litigators that were going in. Mm -hmm. That's what they're used to, to sit in their office and wear their suit and do their work a lot of times. Yep. And I think their work, you know, it requires with the depositions and the court appearances and all that sort of thing. When it's available to be in person, 
Many of them prefer to do it in person. There's a lot of communication that happens non-verbally. And, you know, if you look at sort of the quality of communication, you know, telephone is one thing. You've got, you know, tone of voice and cadence and that sort of thing. But then if you have Zoom, you can, you get a lot more with the facial expressions and that sort of thing. But, you know, you get even more if you can see the whole person and all of their body language. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like it's harder to brainstorm on Zoom. So I, I can understand that for like trial strategy sessions for sure. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you about practice areas that you think will be hot in 2023 and also some evergreen areas too that might uh, lead to a successful work and whatever it is. We'll be right back. The ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast features the men and women in the legal profession who aren't satisfied with good enough. These are the people who are changing the way law is practiced and setting the standards that will define the profession in the future. Each episode, we share their story. To hear insights from those with an eye fixed towards tomorrow, follow the Legal Rebels podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm discussing predictions for the 2023 legal job market with Valerie Fontaine. She's the founding partner of the legal search firm Seltzer Fontaine. So what do you think are the practices this year, Valerie, that were very much in demand that will probably also be in demand next year as well? Okay, well, I'm going to answer based on my experience, which you have to understand, I'm in California and we handle all of the California market. So um, it may be a little bit different in other parts of the country, though I do pay attention to what's happening across the country. But litigation, well, I would say litigation has been hot for us in California throughout. And no matter what happens in the economy, litigation is always hot. Perhaps we're just a litigious bunch out here. Perhaps the type of litigation might change, but litigators are almost always in demand. The same thing with with labor and employment. Employment issues just change depending upon the economy. So when the economy is hot, you know, people are being hired. When economy is not hot, they're being laid off. All of those things give rise to labor and employment issues. I also think that people are becoming more and more sensitive to uh, issues around harassment and discrimination and DEI. And so that, you know, gives rise to litigation as well and labor and employment issues as well. What we have seen as being very hot, and I don't see it cooling down at all, is privacy and data security. And that's becoming more and more so, especially as regulations become tighter uh, across the world, around the world and across the country. And, you know, California has very stringent uh, privacy requirements and other jurisdictions are following suit. So, I mean, it's interesting to me, the areas that privacy and data security come up in, I mean, retail, they collect information on their customers, even cars are collecting, you know, information on their drivers, it's surprising what devices we use every day are collecting information and you know what we do you know puts our our information out there for the world to see and so data security is important to just about every business out there 
commercial contracts. We're seeing a lot of demand, especially in SaaS and other sort of online businesses as you know, more and more services are provided as software and technology continues to you know, develop, then commercial contracts and uh, technology contracts are increasingly hot and have been. Uh, regulatory and ESG specifically, because those regulations are changing. And they may change depending upon what happens in our government, who's in charge and and who makes the who makes the rules and who wants to either uh, enforce them or not enforce them. The companies are dealing with that and law firms are even um, creating special departments within their practice areas to help the companies deal with ESG issues. And IP is always hot because technology, both life sciences and, and computer and otherwise, continue to develop and IP is required to handle that. And that's both uh, the uh, prosecution and litigation. That's international and worldwide. Developing areas, and there are no particular order except for that in which they're occurring to me, but cannabis is a big, big business and, um, you know, I think now we have over 20 states as of the recent elections that have uh, legalized can- cannabis, marijuana, pot, whatever you want to call it. So for recreational as well as medical use. And that's big business. I mean, there's everything involved in that from finance to real estate to regulation to labor and employment to everything is involved there. Another inter- area that is developing is clean energy and Another one that I find that's completely baffling to me is Web3 or Meta and the NFTs. And we've seen a lot going on. There's a lot going on with that, quite a bit. Whether they're going to be regulated or not regulated and um, whether the you know law firms and lawyers are going to go into the metaverse. I mean, I have a hard enough time dealing with this universe, excuse me. <laughs> so, you know, other universes are, are more than I can handle. So... Companies are going into the the metaverse and lawyers have to go where their clients go. So those are all areas that I think are really ripe for growth and also for for new lawyers to get into because there are no experts in these areas because these are brand new areas is being sort of made up as you go along. So if you can pick up some some work that is involved in any of these areas and, and maybe create a bit of a niche for yourself um, you're not going to have a whole lot of competition that's already there. Old lawyers like me that find Web3 completely baffling. And if, if you don't, as a young lawyer, jump right in. You know, it's something that's the future. And do you have advice for young lawyers on how to develop a niche and a trend before everybody knows it's a trend? I mean, for instance, when I see people I went to high school with talking about cryptocurrency on Facebook, I know that that's not for me, um, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> so how do you? But how do you find out about something before it blows up for for work for lawyers? Hopefully, you're reading and you're listening and you're looking and you're you're trying to think of trends and you know you're talking about it with other lawyers at, at your your firm and you can write client alerts. You can do some research. Uh, you can do webinars or trainings for your clients in some of these areas, you know, volunteer to, to help a partner work on some of this stuff. 
you know, say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to jump right in and do all the research and learn about this and, you know, try to suggest uh, ways that the firm can raise its profile in an area and, and be the person that's willing to do the legwork to, to pull it together. And that's how you become the go-to gal, right? On whatever trend it is you're writing about. And Valerie, I have my last question for you. Tell me your advice on building a practice that is evergreen, that will get you through good and bad economic times. My one, number one advice is to try to make sure that your your practice is either countercyclical or you understand the other side of it. So, for example, if you do finance, do you also do restructuring? If you are interested in working for real people as opposed to corporations, you know, real people have legal needs all the time, like family law or wealth management, personal injury, employment, criminal defense. Those things happen all the time in the lives of real people. And there are some firms that realize that their clients are real people too. And they also have wealth management and family law uh, issues as well. And so, especially in slower times, law firms are more willing to provide some of those services as well. Um, If you're going to go out on your own, think about what legal needs that uh, the people around you and the people you know have. And they may change a little bit as the economy changes. For example, (laughs) you you have to go with the flow. When um, the pandemic happened, Wealth management and uh, estate planning and family law really got hot. Why? Because people were stuck in a room with each other and people were also getting sick and dying. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but it's true. And so lawyers were being called upon when maybe business law was, was slow. Those areas were really hot. And law firms need to provide all the services to their clients that are required. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you again, Stephanie. Yes. And listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. 